Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we have a union show, we have some union news, and we'll maybe talk toward the end of the show about other things. Uh, you had something you wanted to do right away, Leo? Uh, well, no, is there anything you want to read there? I've yeah. Got a, yeah, I've got, uh, actually I've got a couple of, oh, I, this is the interesting, I wanted to, we're going to read this, excuse me, I'll get my burning but, um, kind of to congratulate about the uh, people who are working, health workers, the union of health workers, uh, working with us Ebola. And uh, today, AFL-CIO calls for presidential action on worker protection against Ebola. To protect the nation, nation's health care workers and the public for exposure to the Ebola virus, President Barack Obama should use his executive authority to put in place mandatory pro- uh, protections. And other workplace standards for hospitals and other care, healthcare facilities. Yeah, so CIO urged today. Okay. I yeah, I think it's absurd that they don't have enough uh, stuff in these hospitals to protect their people. Um, Two nurses contracted the disease while caring for an Ebola patient in Dallas who later died, and there have been serious questions raised about the hospital's protocols and preparedness in concerns over whether other health care facilities are prepared. In letters to Obama and congressional leaders, AFL-CIO President Richard Trumper said, this is what he said in his quote, the existing protocol standards and guidelines adherence to them are deficient. Their failures in the response have put dozens of additional health care workers at risk and potentially expose many other workers and members of the public. Immediate action is needed. The standards should include the highest level of protective equipment, including use of air purifying respirators and full body suits with hands-on training on the proper way to put on and take off the protective gear. Trumpkar also called for protection from retaliation against workers who report health and safety issues or who contract the Ebola virus or who are restricted or placed under quarantine. The letter also calls on Congress to work jointly with the administration and to provide whatever support is needed through funding and legislation to see that these protections are put into place without delay. National Nurse United and AFT, which also represents nurses and other healthcare professionals, have called for strong mandatory protections for healthcare workers. Both unions have been providing assistance to nurses' unions and healthcare workers' organizations in West Africa who are at the center of the Ebola battle. That includes working with international organizations to provide healthcare workers with education, training, and other support. Chanka said, we must not lose sight of the Ebola crises in West Africa where thousands have died and the virus is raging out of control. So, he's right about that. And, uh, so what I wanted to do is um, uh, I wanted to bring that forward, but the other thing I wanted to do uh, was to uh, play a couple of um, play a couple of videos tonight. Uh, one was from um, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I heard a little piece of it. That was uh, really good. That's really excellent. Yeah, you know, aside from his uh, stance on Israel, which is very, uh, uh, can I say, it's uh, extremely uh, biased toward Israel. With no uh, quarter to the Palestinians at all. No, I mean, seemingly I, 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 can't, I can't agree with so, that kind you know, of thing. But I do like this um, 
But it's uh, it's annoying to see that because I mean it's one of those things where this guy seems to have um, all the right things in yeah, place. Yeah, he says all the right things, but then he, you know, he also says that uh, you're, if you don't uh, support Israel's uh, Israel, then you're a terrorist. You know, those are his words. So it's like, good lord, I mean, or you're anti-Jewish, you know. And it's like, you're not anti-Jewish, you're just anti-Zionist, which are two very different things. Um, what I wanted to do is go to... Um, While you're looking for that, I'll just yeah. mention that worried about retirement? Beware of Joni Ernst. The truth about Joni Ernst. Member of a secret group of American Legislative Exchange Council that hurts workers. She's opposed to the minimum wage increase, and she cut funding for education while handing out tax giveaways to large corporations. If you're in Iowa and following the U.S. Senate race, you may have heard about Senate candidate Joni Ernst's thoughts on Social Security, and they're pretty alarming. In case you haven't, Ernst has said she talked about privatizing Social Security and putting that lifeline at risk. So um, she's pretty scary. So we are looking for, oh, did you find that? I do. Let's see what she has to say about Social Security. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, uh, if I can get this to go. No. Nope. Won't work. Oh, here. Nope. Uh, sorry, folks, I can't get get that up at all. What is it? It was um, a thing on Social Security. No. And it froze up. Yeah, it froze up the site. You know. We try, folks. We really do. But, you know, sometimes it's just ridiculous. There. It finally loosened up. Okay. I'll go to something else. I couldn't get that to come up at all. Can you get yours to. uh, Yeah. I'll get mine up here. But if you just want to. What I'd like to do. I'd like to go to these uh, um, okay members strike for fairness at Fairpoint nearly 2,000 members of the electrical workers and communication workers of America struck Fairpoint Communications in Maine New Hampshire and Vermont on October 17th, over what unions say is the company's unwillingness to bargain in good faith. Let's see what else they have to say. No, they probably think they can do anything they want. Negotiations for a new contract began in April, but the company walked away from the table in August and imposed a contract. That contract, say the unions, increased health care costs it institutes a two-tier wage system that would pay new hires little more than minimum wage. The company also froze workers' pensions and plans to outsource skilled jobs from New England to low-paid, out-of-state contractors. Peter McLaughlin, IBEW Local 2327 business manager, says, We did not want to take this step. We were offered significant concessions to the company that would have saved them hundreds of millions of dollars, but they absolutely refused to compromise on any significant issue. IBEW member Kelly Torosen, who was on the picket line in Manchester, New Hampshire, Fairpoint Facility Monday, told New Hampshire Public Radio, all we want is a fair contract and a fair deal. We're willing to give concessions but what they're asking of us is impossible. The IBEW and CWA have filed unfair labor charges against Fairpoint with the National Labor Relations Board. The workers build, maintain, and repair the systems that bring telecommunications to homes, schools, hospitals, businesses, and factories and staff call centers. Fairpoint brought the Northern New England landline business from Verizon in 2008. Since then, according to the website, fairness at fairpoint.com, 
SharePoint State Communication executives have led the company into a merger and bankruptcy, resulting in workforce cuts of almost 22%. In addition to cutting workers, SharePoint has outsourced jobs in violation of promises made to the New England communities that depend on these jobs. SharePoint's outrageous demands would decimate middle-class jobs in New England while threatening good service for telecommunication customers. It's time for the company to act as a good corporate citizen and work toward a reasonable settlement. So I hope that happens for those SharePoint workers. Sounds like they're suffering. Yeah. Let's see what else there is. Um, Scott Walker doesn't like the minimum wage or voting rights. Winners and losers of the week. In our regularly feature, uh, weekly feature, we'll be taking a look at the winners and losers of the week and the struggle for the rights of working families. The winners will be the persons or organizations that go above and beyond to expand or protect the rights of working families, while the losers will be whoever went above and beyond to limit or deny those rights. Let's see who it is this week. WD Red Mass Storage has the solutions you need to network your life and data. It's your own personal Okay. Winner. Walmart for standing up for rights even in the face of arrest. The Walmart workers. Runners up. Machinists at Schneider Electric who won a new three-year contract and ended their strike. Loser. Scott Walker for saying that the minimum wage serves no purpose and having his voter suppression scheme shut down by the Supreme Court. Runner-up, the government of Swaziland, which banned all labor un unions and then banned protests in response to the union ban. So what do you have there? Oh. That, those were the, yeah, yeah they, they just have four, two. To, uh, a, a winner and a runner-up. Well, this is coming from the internet. Uh, a friend of mine sent over a Bernie Sanders speech uh, that he gave us 15 minutes, but it exposes the surprise. Well, the Illuminati, the, the state that is exposed by the U.S. Senate on live TV. That's true, but it it, it doesn't really state the Illuminati. What he's stating is that it is the absolute total control of the country and the world by the greatest by by less than less than uh, three tenths of one percent of the population okay owns the controls the world well let's That's hear maybe a hundred people <laughs> you yeah. know, whoever they are yeah, 300 actually bill gates but, yeah, warren buffett 300 but anyway if you if you um if you listen to the speech, he's got the right. He, he said it right, and he's really nailed the problems with this country and the uh, income inequality and the and what why it is and what really really runs the system, right? And any union guy, anybody, anybody doesn't you know, have. We don't have a chance. Who's trying to make a living and can't understand what's really happening? This is what's happening, Bernie Sanders. Uh, senator from uh, an independent senator from um, Vermont. Vermont. Okay, so I'm going to turn this up. And hopefully, we don't get spiked out of here tonight. From Vermont is right. Uh, uh, Mr. President, there is a war going on in this country, and I'm not referring uh, to the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. I'm talking about a war being waged by some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in this country against the working families of the United States of America, against the disappearing and shrinking middle class of our country. Now, the reality is that many of the nation's billionaires are on the warpath. They want more, more, more. Their greed has no end, and apparently there is very little concern for our country or for the people of this country if it gets in the way of the accumulation of more and more wealth and more and more power. Mr. President, in the year 2007, the top 
of all income earners in the United States made 23.5% of all income. Top 1% earned 23.5% of all income, more than the entire bottom 50%. That's apparently not enough. The percentage of income going to the top 1% nearly tripled since the 1970s. In the mid-1970s, the top 1% earned about 8% of all income. In the 1980s, that figure jumped to 14%. In the late 1990s, that 1% earned about 19%. And today, as the middle class collapses, top 1% earns 23.5% of all income, more than the bottom 50%. Today, if you can believe it, the top one-tenth of 1% earns about 12 cents of every dollar earned in America. Now, we talk about a lot of things on the floor of the Senate, but somehow we forget to talk about the reality of who is winning in this economy and who is losing. And it is very clear to anyone who spends two minutes studying the issue that the people on top are doing extraordinarily well at the same time as the middle class is collapsing and poverty is increasing. Mr. President, if you can believe this, you know, many people out there are angry. They're, they're wondering what's happening to their own income, to their lives, to the lives of their kids. Since between 1980 and 2005, 80%, 80% of all new income created in this country went to the top 1%. 80% of all new income. And that's why people are wondering and asking, what's going on in my life? How come I'm working longer hours for lower wages? How come I'm worrying about whether my kids will have as good a standard of living as I've had? From 1980 to 2005, 80% of all income went to the top 1%. Today, the Wall Street executives crooks on Wall Street whose actions resulted in the severe recession that we are in right now, the people who have, whose actions, illegal actions, reckless actions, have resulted in millions of Americans losing their jobs, their homes, their savings. Guess what? After we bail them out, the CEOs today are now earning more money than they did before the bailout. President, while the middle class of this country collapses and the rich become much richer, the United States now has by far the most unequal distribution of income and wealth of any major country on earth. When we were in school, we used to read the textbooks which talked about the banana republics in Latin America. We used to read the books about countries in which a handful of people owned and controlled most of the wealth of those countries. Well, guess what? That's exactly what is happening in the United States today. Mr. President, the wealthiest people in this country, not all of them, by the way, not all of them. There are many wealthy people in this country who understand and are proud to be Americans, who understand that one of the things that's important is that all of us do well. But there are, on the other hand, many others whose apparently only concern is more and more wealth and more and more power for themselves. And this is an issue, this greed is an issue that we have got to deal with. Now, in the midst of all of this, growing income and wealth inequality in this country, we are now faced with the issue of what we do with the Bush tax cuts of 2001 and 2003. And if you can believe it, we have people here, many of my Republican colleagues, who tell us, oh, I am so concerned about our record-breaking deficit. I am terribly concerned about a $13.7 trillion national debt. Terribly concerned about the debt that we're going to be leaving to our kids and our grandchildren. But wait a minute. It's very important that we give over a 10-year period $700 billion in tax breaks to the top 
Oh, yeah, we're concerned about the debt. We're concerned about the deficit. But we are more concerned that millionaires, people who earn at least a million dollars a year or more, get on average $100,000 a year in tax rates. They got a $13.7 trillion national debt growing. You've got growing income inequality, top 1%, earning more income than the bottom 50%. But the highest priority of many of my Republican colleagues is to make sure that millionaires and billionaires get more tax breaks. I think that that is absurd. But it is not only income tax rates that we're dealing with. It is the estate tax as well. And let's be clear, while some of my friends want to eliminate completely the estate tax, which has been in existence in this country since 1916, let us be clear that every nickel of benefit, all of those benefits, will go to the top three-tenths of one percent. And if we did, as some of my friends would like, eliminate the estate tax completely, it would cost us a trillion dollars in revenue over a 10-year period, all of the benefits going to the top three-tenths of one percent. So I am sure that in a little while, my friends are going to come down to the floor. We're very concerned about the deficit. We're very concerned about the national debt. But you know what we're more concerned about? Giving huge tax breaks to the wealthiest people in this country. But, Mr. President, the tax issue is just one part of what some of our wealthy friends want to see happen in this country. The reality is that many of these folks want to bring the United States back to where we were in the 1920s. And they want to do their best to eliminate all traces of social legislation which working families fought tooth and nail to develop to bring a modicum of stability and security to their lives. There are people out there, not all, but there are some who want to privatize or completely eliminate Social Security. They want to privatize or cut back substantially on Medicare. Yeah, you're 75 years of age and you have no money. Good luck to you getting your health insurance at an affordable cost from a private insurance company. I am just sure there are all kinds of private insurance companies out there just delighted to take care of low-income seniors who are struggling with cancer or another disease. The President, furthermore, there are corporate leaders out there and many members of Congress who not only want to continue, they want to expand our disastrous trade policies. My wife and I went shopping the other day, started our Christmas shopping. And we looked and we looked at virtually every product that was out there in the store, consumer products, was China, China, and China. We seem to be a country in which we have a 51st state named China, which is producing virtually all of the products that we as Americans consume. Our trade policy has resulted in the loss of millions of good-paying jobs as large corporations and CEOs have said, why do I want to reinvest in America when I can go to countries where people are paid 50 cents, 75 cents an hour? That's what I'm going to do, to act with the working people of this country. So not only are we saddled with this disastrous trade policy, there are people who actually want to expand it. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that we're going to see going on is that while we struggle with a record-breaking deficit and a large national debt caused by the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, caused by tax breaks for the wealthy, caused by an unpaid-for Medicare Part D prescription drug program, caused by the Wall Street bailout, driving up the deficit, driving up the national debt, that's some people can say, oh, my goodness, we got all of those expenses, and then we got to give tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires, but we want to balance the budget. Gee, how are we going to do that? Well, obviously, we know how they're going to do that. We're going to cut back on health care. We're going to cut back on education. We're going to cut back on child care. 
We're going to cut back on Pell programs. We just don't have enough money for working families and nannies. We're going to cut back on food stamps. We're surely not going to expand unemployment compensation. We've got a higher priority, Mr. President. We have got to, got to, got to give tax breaks to billionaires. I mean, that's what this whole place is about, isn't it? They fund the campaigns. They get what sue them. Mr. President, amazingly enough, we have our friends on Wall Street, the CEOs of the large financial institutions. They want to rescind or slow down many of the provisions, the very modest provisions in the financial reform bill. I voted for the financial reform bill, but I will tell you clearly it did not go anywhere near far enough, but it went too far for our Wall Street friends and their lobbyists who are all over here. And for the hundreds of millions of dollars Wall Street spends in this place, they want to rescind, slow down some of the reforms there. These people want to cut back on the powers of the EPA and the Department of Energy so that ExxonMobil can remain the most profitable corporation in world history while oil and coal companies continue to pollute our air and our water. Last year, ExxonMobil made $19 billion in profit. Guess what? They paid zero in taxes. They got a $156 million refund from the IRS. I guess that's not good enough. We've got to give the oil companies even more tax breaks. So, Mr. President, I think that's where we are. We've got to own up to it. There is a war going on. The middle class is struggling for existence, and they're taking on some of the wealthiest and most powerful forces in the world whose greed has no end. And if we don't begin to stand together and start representing those families, there will not be a middle class in this country. Mr. President, with that, I would yield the floor. Senator from... That was very good. Yeah. Um, but do you think they'll do anything about it? I mean, he gave that talk. I mean, I didn't hear a great round of applause for it. Did you? No. I didn't hear anybody rushing up to say, I agree with that. Well, a lot of times when they talk to in front of the Senate, they're really only talking There's probably to nobody there. C-SPAN or something is the only one covering them. But the fact that he did say it on live TV, uh, that was a good thing, I thought. I thought it was a good thing. Anyway, um, there's another thing I wanted to uh, go to tonight. And, uh, now, he's an independent. He resigned from the Democratic Party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. So, he got kind of disgusted with him. Yeah, which, you know, very, really easy to understand. That would be too, with both parties. But at the same time, uh, we can, I want to do this. I put this one up on, uh, I threw this up to save it on Facebook, and I can't get to it now. Okay. So I will get into it. While you're looking at that, maybe I can find. Oh, okay. There's other things going on here. I'm almost there. Going around the bend here. Workers in Mexico fight for a fair union vote. That's good. Workers at the 6,000 employee call center company. Atentos Servicios in Mexico face daily challenges on the job. These mostly young workers make low wages, work long shifts, face high stress demands from callers, and are subjected to yelling, sexual harassment, and other abuses. They are treated like, expend like an expendable workforce and are hired and fired at nearly 80% annual turnover rate. Can you imagine that? 80% turnover rate? This is, this, is, uh, okay. this is really interesting. Okay, uh, go ahead. A friend of ours, uh, both sent this over um, just uh, a while back. It says, uh, on April 30th, 2014, the U.S. Senate tried but failed to raise the minimum wage for the first time in nearly a decade. This graph shows how many in each party voted yes. The Democrats voted yes, 100% yes, all right, on raising the minimum wage. And this one, the Republicans only voted to 2% of the Republicans voted to increase the wage. And what he's saying here, 
this is in support of $15 an hour minimum wage. And he said, I'm sharing this in case you still think both parties are the same. Right. The Democrats and, uh, wanted 100%, the Republicans only voted 2%, you know, for minimum wage. Um, here's one more that I thought was interesting uh, that he posted. And uh, Warren, he says, on October 20th, 1926, a labor organizer and leader, uh, Eugene Debs, died. He fought long and hard for the working people of America. He was considered a radical, amongst other things. And some of his radical ideas included the eight-hour workday, pensions, workmen's work, compensation, sick leave, and Social Security. And that's what the Republicans okay. are trying hard to get rid of, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. And he was a radical. He was a real radical I mean, leader. before that, people were forced to, to slave ten-hour days. Yeah. That's, that's why people died young. Yeah. They could hardly drag themselves home at the end of a day.
Corporations claim that DRM is necessary to fight copyright infringement online and keep consumers safe from viruses. But there is no evidence that DRM does much to combat either of those things. Fans should not be treated like criminals, and companies should not get an automatic veto over user creativity, choice, and innovation. These are only some of the problems with the TPP's copyright enforcement provisions. They would be harmful for everyone, except for companies that use these policies to suppress innovative competitors or to criminalize sharing. Instead of spending their resources to create new products that respect the Internet and new technologies, they're lobbying for policies that would hinder and break them. Severe copyright policies restrict our right to share, modify, and experiment with content and technology. Innovation cannot thrive without these freedoms. Internet users need to know what is going on in these secret trade negotiations. Internet users have a right to participate in this powerful international deal that will impact millions of lives for decades to come. Let's show our policymakers that we won't let backroom trade deals determine what we can do with our technology. Let's show them that we, the users, are unified against corporate efforts to restrict our rights. The Internet is ours. It's up to us to defend it. housing 
and health care projects in 15 neighborhoods across the city. HIDP has created more than 5,000 good union construction jobs that support Boston's families. Nationwide since 1984, HIT investments have generated $24.4 billion in total economic benefits, including 73,700 union construction jobs and more than 156,400 total jobs. Richard Rogers, Executive Secretary Treasurer of the Greater Boston Labor Council, said, I'm 100% behind investments that put union pension dollars back to work, creating good jobs and revitalizing communities. Okay. Yeah. Looks to me like uh, game over. Obama is requesting 34 million blank ID cards for illegal aliens and new foreign workers. Can you imagine that? Mm. Uh, it looks like Obama plans on moving forward with his executive amnesty plan. The administration is requesting 34 million blank green cards and work permits for illegal aliens and few foreign workers, and, new, and new foreign workers. This executive amnesty must be stopped. I agree with you. That's horrible. It's freaking horrible. Now, uh, 34, going to give illegal amnesty, going to give amnesty to 34 million people. That's from the, the, the you know, Dubai economy now. Yeah. We're from the CDC and we're here to help. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, I'm just trying to find out something really cool now. Uh, something interesting. Dahlia uh, Wafi. Oh, okay. She's good. Yeah. Dolly uh, Wasu, um, she's a, an, an activist. She's actually a doctor, uh, not a, uh, an MD, but she's an Iraqi activist so I'm defending her people in Iraq in the nightmare. They're going on. Uh, well, let's see if this is something here. Oh, let's see. Congratulations, solo activist. Oh, 9 11 activist, yeah. You have again uh, successfully raised and required funding to support a lawsuit against NIST, which excuse me, which compels them to release the complete set of documents that they have stated stalling, making public for years. Okay, and the NIST are uh, the uh, uh, people that yeah that the people that did the. Uh, Thank you. So, uh, yeah, this is what's going on. And uh, 
for those of you who are newbies in this in this uh, conspiracy, um, and I am a conspiracy, uh, this is going to be something incredible that's going to hit the fan. If it gets any press at all. And they really expose. No, but they, they, if they get it, then they'll have all those documents and they'll publish them. Yeah, if everybody gets a chance to find out about it. Chicago, Al, Let's see. Another U.S. city protesting in the influx of refugees, immigrants, overwhelming social services across America. And then I have something to read on Tom Fuller. Okay. The mayor of Athens, Georgia, has joined a growing chorus of mayors across the U.S. who are concerned about the federal government's resettlement of foreign uh, refugees in their cities and the resulting drain on public uh, services. Refugees come from war-torn countries in Africa, uh, Asia, and the Middle East, and require a plethora of government services to help them overcome language and cultural barriers. They have little or no job skills that translate into trade in a modern economy such as the U.S. But Athens has been uh, targeted as the latest refugee city of destination by New York City-based International Rescue Committee, Inc., which provides resettlement services for the federal government uh, on a contract basis. IRC wants to transplant 150 refugees who are fleeing Iraq, Syria, and the Democratic Republic of Congo and Burma. Athens Major uh, Nancy uh, Nancy's mayor uh, Nancy Densen uh, recently uh, sent a letter asking the IRC to delay the resettlement until it can put together a formal refugee integration plan. One of the, uh, uh, once the IRC can get approval uh, to open an office in Athens, the a pipeline of refugees could continue on an annual basis. That's why Denson said the community must, not, must know ahead of time if it's able to accommodate the needs of the refugees for housing, schooling, health, public, and welfare services. And Denson, a uh, Democrat, has the support of Republican Governor Nathan Deal in her effort to forestall the opening of the IRC's resettlement office in Athens. International Rescue Committee is uh, the largest and the oldest of the nine private agencies that contact track with federal government to resettle foreign refugees in the U.S. cities. But anyway, Denson said 85% of the students in Athens, Clark County Schools, already qualified for free and reduced cost lunch, which is the main indicator schools use to measure poverty in their communities. Right. Imagine that. That, yeah. that uh, 85% qualified for, for Must for, be a for very poor community. Area. Yeah. And the school system is already funded at 20, at 20 mills. The maximum property tax allowed by the state constitution. So they don't have the ability to bring more students in with great needs of all kinds, the language which is the boss, probably, uh, possibly even mental health issues in some cases, because they are coming from countries that are broken by civil war. Benton told WND that what's going to put another stress on our social system, which is already stressed. And Jensen is not the first U.S. mayor to resist the influx of refugees and asylum seekers. Um, Manchester, New Hampshire, Mayor Ted Gatsis uh, has been trying unsuccessfully to get moratoriums on refugee resettlement within his city since July uh, 2011. All right, and uh, state reps. Um, I mean, what's going to happen if if Obama allows 34 million? Of these guys back into the country legally, huh? I don't know. I well, have no idea. What's going to happen to all this? Is a huge article, but 
It's going to bankrupt all these places. All these, all these towns. I mean, they're all just going to fall apart. Because most of them are... are, are, are bankrupted yeah. now. I mean, so there's no tax get, base. And we're bankrupt now as a nation. And he's gonna, what's he going to do? Uh, sign over uh, a, a trillion dollars to help these uh, 34 million people that suddenly are the legal citizens? Yeah. I have no I mean, idea. Can you imagine 34 million people on the... On the on the uh, welfare rolls and on the uh, on the uh, uh, insurance rolls, thirty-four thousand, thirty-four million. Oh, thirty-four million. Million, thirty-four million. Oh my God! On the welfare rolls and the ten, on the uh, on the. Um, well, that'll bankrupt it all. Medicaid, exactly. exactly. Well, that's what maybe the intention is. I maybe that's what they're planning. Maybe that's this genius plan. Yeah. Are you people stupid or what? I've tried to tell you. In every way I possibly could. This is this is Obama. Picture talking. of Obama. I'm a pathological liar. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I hate America and will destroy it. Sometimes it feels that way. I wonder if that's what he's actually doing. Okay, let me read this. Thirty-four million people, and you know, yeah, come on. Let me read about Tom Foley. We've gone over why Tom Foley is bad for Connecticut's working families. He would repeal the state's paid sick day laws, oppose raising the state's minimum wage, and has a history of laying off workers from the businesses he buys. But a recent Connecticut Post story goes a little deeper. Taking a look at a strike at an electrical equipment manufacturer in Charmsburg, Pennsylvania, where Foley was an executive, Connecticut's Ken Coase writes of the strike at T.B. Woodson Sons Company, Former workers and their families remember Foley as a bottom-line executive who brought in waves of replacement workers and security guards with dogs to face strikers. Nice. Tracked down through old newspaper clippings by the Hearst Media Group, the former workers from P.B. Woods and Sons say they are surprised to see their one-time adversary now portray, him, portray himself as a creator of jobs and a candidate for governor of Connecticut. Foley likes to hearken back to his corporate leadership skills as reasons why he'd be a good governor for Connecticut. He also tells his experience at T.B. Woods as a positive example of his leadership. But nothing could be further from the truth. They say Foley fired hundreds of members of the United Auto Workers, Local 695, and brought in less skilled replacements into the plant he bought in 1996 and took over from the last of the family owners just before the 1990s strike. Um, let's see what else it says here. Kind of scary. Foley sold the company in 2007 for about $40 million in his accumulated stock holdings. When the 325 union members narrowly turned down a three-year contract, Foley refused to return to the bargaining table in the township of about 20,000 people, 50 miles south of Harrisburg. A new tra contract was never settled. The strike fizzled out in 1993, and the UAW local dies. Along the way, workers lost their homes, pulled their children from, children from colleges, and tightened their belts, living on $100 a week strike wages. Pretty sad. So I don't think he accomplished much. Okay, we just have about five minutes left. Yeah. That's the um, show. Yeah, I think we're... Um, That's an interesting article, I guess. And who's winning the war against ISIS in Syria and Iraq? No contest. It's American arms manufacturers. Uh, yeah, yes, indeed. Uh, it's, uh, I like some things here. Isn't there? Jihad. Oh, God. Here we go. New York City prepares for a nuclear jihad attack. Uh, imagine that. Uh, get ready, folks. 
New York's going up in a bigger mushroom cloud because of jihad. Well, President Obama stumps for the beauty of Islam uh, in the wake of jihadi attacks in Oklahoma, Canada, not to mention the enormous gains made by the uh, state, Islamic State of Boko Haram and others. Uh, New York is really uh, is, is in reality mode. But remember, Obama says the Islamic State is not Islamic. He says, one has to wonder if Obama would call a nuclear attack in New York City tragic, much the way he called the jihad attacks in Canada tragic and senseless. He, he described Fort Hood as tragic as well. And deaths from hurricanes or hurricanes or car accidents are tragic. Jihad is war. Uh, emergency agencies tracking response to nuclear explosions in Times Square uh, in October uh, 22nd, uh, CBS reported. Uh, New York uh, City's region emergency agencies are practicing for disaster. You know what? Every time, every time that they start to, to, to run a drill or practice these things, <coughs> within the same week, they, we seem to have a real event. They had a drill at the Aurora, if everybody remembers the Aurora Theater. There was a drill that same night, okay? Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the, you know, whatever his name was, went in and blew up the theater. And then, uh, and then uh, the Boston Marathon, they were having a, a drill that same day, right? Uh, right there, they showed it, they reported about it, and all of a sudden, ba-boom! It happened, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, supposedly all these people got hurt. But you know, it, it's just amazing to me how how um, <clears throat> there seems to be these uh, 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 drills right before some major thing happens. Um, and it says uh, the city of emergency management office. I uh, ran a training exercise Wednesday that simulated a response to a 10-kiloton nuclear device exploding at 42nd Street and 7th Avenue in Times Square. Uh, according to the exercise, 100,000 people were instantly killed. A wave of overpressure uh, took um, down buildings for a half-mile radius and did damage to up to two miles, and a radiation cloud swept over the region. Emergency agencies practice response to nuclear explosion in Times Square. The drill uh, scenario also included a shutdown of uh, a subway service and interruptions of cell phone service. The city agency practice rehearsing communications with the federal government and local law enforcement agencies in the tri-state area. Huh. We would have to make the message to speak with one voice with our partner in Connecticut and New Jersey and the state of New York, uh, Commissioner Esposito said. The agency also rehearsed how it would, be would get worse to the public, word to the public during the crisis. Esposito said the blast would produce an electromagnetic pulse, disrupting much of the communication. Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's the message? Shelter in place, evacuate, seek medical aid. How would we do that? Social media, if it's up and running. We know a lot of this is going to be down for a time period, so we should know that a big part of it would be radios, as Pazito said. The best thing would be portable radios. And officials stressed that while not everything can be predicted in a disaster, the training exercises are vital practice. And with that, we're going to leave it tonight because get ready for a nuclear blast, folks. <laughs> yeah. I hope not. Yeah. Uh, anyway, just know that they're they're covering it. So you know, in cases there is one in New York, uh, Connecticut, and uh, New Jersey will be uh, notified. Huh. So anyway. Well, well good night, folks. Yes. Yeah. Well, good night, folks. Have a good night. So get those little radios kicking back up. Because you're not going to get any internet radio. I guess not. It's not going to get much of anything. Yeah. Well, I, uh, good night, everybody. Have a have a good week and uh we'll try talking to you tomorrow.